The Toyota MR2 sports car. Lexus, the result of our relentless pursuit of perfection. Oh, what a feeling. Toyota. Toyota. Let's go places. Hey everybody, it's Tyler and welcome to our second episode in this series looking at the new 2022 Tundra. I'm Tyler and unfortunately there is no Kelsey because Kelsey is on vacation. Also some exciting news, a lot of you know that Kelsey and I work very closely together, not only on this podcast, but also Kelsey is on my team. We work in social media together, but just recently Kelsey got moved over to Lexus and a very exciting transition for her and her career. So now Kelsey will be working on Lexus product communications and she will be giving us all the inside scoop on Lexus. So congrats to Kelsey. Uh, I will miss working day to day with her, but really cool opportunity for her. This time we're taking a deep dive into this truck's amazing, innovative new entertainment system. We start with Greg Blaylock, who is Toyota's manager of customer solutions for connected technologies. And then we'll talk to Mike Swears, who is the 2022 Tundra's global truck chief engineer. We don't stop there. We get into everything that went into designing and building this next generation monster. So buckle up, it's Tundra season. First up, here's Greg. So today we're having a good time. We are in just north, I would say, of San Antonio, Texas. We are driving. We're giving some special people the first driving impressions of the new 2022 Tundra. So close to each other, at least in my mind, it probably wasn't close to each other at all, but it felt like it to me as a single individual. But there's Connected Technologies, mm -hmm. and then there's Toyota Connected. Correct. And you worked for Connected Technologies. Correct. Explain the difference for everybody. Uh, well, I, I think the distance is, is getting um, tighter and tighter. So as a group, Toyota Connected really is very specific in, in the things that they are doing to augment what we're doing at Connected Technologies. Mm -hmm. So when you think of Toyota Connected, it's, it's about data. It's about improvement through data. How do we use data to improve our lives? How do we use data to improve a customer experience? And so they're really layering on sort of the qualitative elements in order to take the system to the next level. You know, they have, like I said, the, the distance between us are getting very, very tight. But really, you know, we start with a concept, we work on it, and we build out the different aspects of whether it be the Toyota app or if it's the the unit user experience in the head unit. And then we we focus on the back end and making all of the things work the way they should, especially in the intelligent assistant area where we have, that team has really contributed a lot to the artificial intelligence and the capabilities built into that, into the intelligent assistant. It seems like you guys are like so close together and working towards a similar goal, right? And the, the goal is the customer at the end of the day. Absolutely. And they are, you know, we're, we're to say we're brother and sister is probably a little bit, you know, we're probably tighter than that in yeah. some ways. So it's, it's a very, it's a very good relationship. And again, as we, as we move forward, you know, it's less and less 
uh, space between us as mm-hmm. we as we march forward. And they're they're really great at at innovation mm-hmm. and and in that space. And it, they're they're and we're we're trying to get better about innovation. And between the two of us, we're really um, driving to the next level. But I'm talking to you today because there's something like super exciting about the new Tundra that people are going to get to experience. And we're looking at it now. It is this 14 inch screen, which is great. But I think what comes on the 14 inch screen is what everybody is going to be talking about. So tell me about the new technology that is in the 2022 Tundra. So the new audio multimedia system is really one that we've been working on for about four years, taking feedback that we've received over many generations of telematics and working on what are the things that our customers really want out of the systems? And a few of the things that we need is is constantly updatable. The menu system should be um, easy to navigate, should be intuitive, some of those things. In order for it to be updated constantly, one of the important perspectives of this is that it's really based in the cloud instead of being resident on the screen itself or in the in the unit itself. And so we have maps that are cloud-based. We have Intelligent Assistant, which is the new voice recognition mm-hmm. that is phenomenal. And that is also based in the cloud. So it constantly evolves and gets better over time. And so that was one of the key points that we wanted to get better at as an organization when it comes to the connected technology. And this was something that you were, you didn't say as an organization, hey, it's for 2022 Tundra. You've been working on this for a while. Correct? We have been. We have been working on this for a while. And obviously it takes a while to change the way we go about the business. Mm-hmm. And that's what we really look to do. We listened um, to all of the critiques and all of the feedback that we received. We took that and we started the process about four years ago. Then we took what our what we thought we were hearing from everyone through IQS, through Avenues, and we started doing prototypes built in an iPad, if you mm-hmm. will. And so as a part of that, we started showing it to customers very, very early on in the process, even before we had the units that we would be putting oh, in. Oh, wow. Because we wanted to iterate on what a customer saw and how they used it. And we mm-hmm. wanted to test a lot of theories that we really didn't have any data on. And the only way to do that is really get it in front of people. Yep. And so... So what we wanted to do is is go through these iterations. If someone had some feedback, someone had some some things that they they wanted to tweak, then we would go and test that theory and then we'd show it to the next person and see if that took. So, ah. you know, through multiple iterations of this, we got to something that was a baseline. So then we could start adding hardware and these other pieces to drive mm-hmm. the system. So it would be responsive and quick and be able to be adaptable. So we have the updatable capabilities that were built in so that even when we got to production on these units, that we could also update based on feedback that we got after we went to production, because it was really important for us not to stamp this, okay, we're done moving on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. This has to be something that improves over time and gets better over time. And so we really adapted that into the system and it's less about hardware and more about user experience. Mm -hmm. And the hardware comes along with what the user experience is intended to be. So it's a 14 inch screen only because that's the best way to for a customer to use it, mm-hmm. uh, both for driver distraction, quickly get to the information, pull it off, use it, move on with your life and drive. Mm-hmm. The form factor really fits with what we're trying to accomplish from a usability perspective. So fundamentally, what is different about this in this vehicle than what customers had seen previously? Well, I think everything. I, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, that's, that's sort of a layup, but a departure in totality from what we've done in the past. Before, we were very menu heavy. Now it's usable 
usability heavy, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's what is it the customer wants to do, which is why we have this persistent menuing on the left-hand side. Those of you on the podcast will see that when you get into a vehicle, mm-hmm. but you'll see that you'll see that menu structure on the left-hand side and those are the most commonly used pieces. So we wanted you to be able to get there quickly and to be one step away from where you wanted to be in the in the vehicle. So if you wanted to be in navigation, you were in navigation, but if you wanted to go to music, you didn't have to go around to a couple of menus in order to get there, you could just press the button or you could say to the system, you know, hey, Toyota, you know, I want to go here, right? Or I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And it would be intuitive enough and understanding enough that we'll be able to get you there without you having to structure the way you talk, which is another way the system's different. In previous voice recognitions, you had to change the way you spoke to the system based on what it would accept and not based on natural speech. By using the cloud, not only can you use natural speech, but it also learns over time and gets better over time. And so that was a big change from what we'd had in the past. And that takes a little bit of AI, right? Some it artificial. Takes a lot of AI. <laughs> yes, it takes a lot of learning and a lot of, so, it, you know, the great thing is we feel like we're going to have a really great system coming out of the box. Mm-hmm. But for each customer, as they get in the car and they start using the system, the system will work better for them over time, mm-hmm. even at that vehicle level, not just over the entire ecosystem, but the entire vehicle. And then as we have lots of vehicles in, in production and we have lots of folks using the system, they will be, the, the system itself will also improve. So we've got a two-factor improvement across the board. The great thing about it is that we we understood the vehicles early on, mm-hmm. which vehicles it was going to trim into. And so that's why, that's why it fits really well. So the equipment itself was tailored to the vehicles themselves. And then the UI was sort of tailored back off of that. And so depending on the vehicle, you have fitment and trim levels that are different depending on the vehicle. And so from that perspective, it is unique by vehicle, but the base unit and the base system that sits inside of it is really the same engine and the same capability and the same UI. People are people. It doesn't matter what they're driving. So from the base perspective, it's all the same. And then when you get into the vehicle and you look at the way it's outlined, it is really customized at that point for whether it's, you know, whether it's a large screen, whether it's a a big format vehicle or whether it's a smaller format vehicle. You work on Lexus too, right? And so something similar to what we're seeing in the Tundra right now is going into the Lexus NX. That's correct. And so I think the way I would articulate that is there's refinements based on the vehicle. Right. right? And the and brand. So, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, there's really there's a different form factor for the for the Lexus NX. It just like there's a different form factor for the for the Tundra. And and we've done, a I, I think, a pretty good job of making sure that it's very right for the environment in which it's in. When you get into the Lexus NX and you get into the Tundra, you feel like you're having a different experience, although we all work on the same the same back end and the same capabilities mm-hmm. across the board, we really have tried to do the refinement. So the the goal was to really create the best in class, best in class user experience, mm-hmm. right? And and as that progresses and as you gain more and more credibility, so as we went to Japan and said, hey, we've got this idea about how we want to change the way we do this. And they they gave us the leeway to do it over a that lot of That was a conversation, fun conversation. Lots of conversations, <laughs> lots of meetings in Japan. Japan gives you the opportunity to go and show. Right. Mm-hmm. You need to go and show them what the differences are and you need to show them the quality and you need to show them the value. And as you show more value and you show more quality over time, good ideas are good ideas. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's U.S. based or if it's global based. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of folks that are globally interested in the platform. Mm-hmm. And we were focusing primarily on launching in the U.S. But again, a good idea is a good idea. And if it works across the board, then it, it, then they want to implement it that way. 
Amazing. There's kind of a duality to it because you're you're building for a specific vehicle, the 2022 Tundra, but then you're also, you know, looking at long term, what does this service, right, mm-hmm. look like in this yeah. cloud-based application? Mm-hmm. Talk about how you do both of those things. Well, the beauty of it not being hard-coded in the unit itself is that it gives you the ability to change over time. So we have the ability to update the system software in order to either add capability, change UIs, do all these other pieces, right? Mm -hmm. So we've gave ourselves some flexibility on the back end to make changes and morph it as we went along. And that goes with going across platforms as well, right? We have a lot of space there to iterate. And because it is in the cloud and it is software based, it gives us a lot more flexibility there. Speaking of platforms, did you work with some of the partners that are traditionally known for these things like Google, Apple, yeah, Android, we sure did. Except- you know, the, the importance for us was that as we as we move into a, a more autonomous space, we wanted to make sure that we had built systems that we could control and that we had the ability to to, to control. And and so we wanted to make sure that we weren't going to be working with folks that would change their mind about the direction they were going from a business perspective, because we've had that in the past. Right. Previous generations have relied upon apps and things then we thought we had partners for life and they changed their business model and it no longer made sense for them. And so we didn't want to get down the road and have a partner change their mind about their direction and then leave us sort of hanging. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the core build and the guts of this thing were built by us. Mm -hmm. And then we did work with partners such as uh, Best in Industry POIs, right? Google. So it makes sense for us to go and use that group in order to drive the POIs. However, we left ourselves some space that you know, if things change in the in the future, we could switch that out because it is software based and it's pointable, right? Yeah. So we can go to different places. For people who may not know, what's a POI? That is an industry term, I apologize, <laughs> for, for points of interest. So it's a location. So Perfect. getting an address. We also partnered up with Apple and Amazon to build the integrated streaming capability where you can take your Apple or Amazon account and bring it into the system. And then we could have it resident using your user profile on here. And so it's just giving the ability for you to use what you already have and bring it into the environment of the vehicle and create mm-hmm. that customizable experience. So when you you talked about customer feedback, right, what types of things were you did you get harsh criticism about, you know, what was going on or what has been going on? And how do you take that customer feedback and really mold it into something future looking that's going to work today, next year for the 2022 Tundra and five, seven years down the road? I think the idea is to be open and honest Mm -hmm. with ourselves about what our systems do and what they don't do. Mm -hmm. I think we were our biggest critics, frankly, and everyone else chimed in on top of that. I think we all knew um, that we had to get better. So it makes it a little bit easier when you're open and honest with yourself about what's going on. And when you look at customer, whether it be criticism, whether it be, you know, applauds, whatever the case may be, you need to take that all with a grain of salt and kind of understand their perspective and where they're coming in. Take that into account and then figure out if it is a aspect of what you're doing or is it, are you seeing a groundswell uh, of, of commentary there? And I think we saw a groundswell for our previous generation. We already had our own thoughts about it and we just, we got a, an understanding from our customers that we really were not hitting the mark. That does make it a lot easier when the org- the entire organization is marshaled around the idea that we have got to get better and we've got to do better for our customers. And then that way criticism isn't quite as internalized. It is just simply understood and, and used for be- for the betterment of the system. Perfect. And I'll go even further with the five, seven years. What does the future of multimedia look like for the industry? 
for Toyota and for the industry? Yeah, that's a great question. I think as we find success or the ways that we find success in this new system, certainly we want to leverage those going forward, but we're really not closing the door on a strategy around, you know, what is the future? I think we're open and honest with with what the technologies will give us down the road. We've got some ideas about things that are going on in the industry itself, such as, you know, adding different capabilities other than Apple and Amazon Music, right? Mm-hmm. And, and adding different value streams into here for our customers. And, and as we're able to do that, I think we'll get a, probably a better guidance on, on what a customer is really looking for from the system itself. I think you know, we really are excited about getting this system out so that we have a baseline to stand on so that we can springboard off and get to the next level. So let's get into a little bit of the tour of the system as much as we can verbally represent <laughs> what's happening because we are sitting in a 2022 Tundra. We, are. we have this lovely 14-inch screen like right in front of us. Right now it's on the navigation uh, site. But one, I mean, just looking at it, it's huge. It's big, but it's super cool. It looks great. Yeah. And I think that's the first thing that people notice is how big it is. And I I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. I I think it does show very well, I think. But once we we hit that at the beginning, the the size of the screen is really just to make sure that the user experience is what it needs to be. And so, you know, we again, I, I alluded to it earlier, but the the menus on the left-hand side, which is the the driver's side of the screen, allow the driver to interact with it where they need to. We obviously want to use our intelligent assistant capability or voice recognition in the vehicle that is cloud-based to try to drive as much as we can so you don't have to touch a lot of the screen. You can simply operate the things that you want to operate or go to the places you want to go to with that system. Now, the command for that is, hey, Toyota, correct? Hey, hi, hello. Okay. So it is, it, it, we try to be a little bit more universal mm-hmm. with the, how do we start it, but it is, but it is, hey, hi, or hello. And then followed by Toyota. Followed by Toyota. Okay. That's correct. That's All correct. right. Give us a tour. So if we're not navigating somewhere... Yeah. So again, this is where we can have our navigation. You can have that up. We also have our, our music that's in here. So you have AM, FM, you have Sirius XM. We also have the integrated streaming capability with the Apple and Amazon. And then we have wireless CarPlay and Android Auto that you can also play music on. And then just standard Bluetooth capability. So lots of opportunities. I think one of the goals that we had and it's across the board, but it really shows well in the music area, is that we wanted you to be able to use what you wanted to use, right? Mm-hmm. We wanted to come and meet you in the cockpit and say, all right, how do you really want to use the system? We wanted to give you options so that when you get in the car, you can use it the way you want to use it, right? We're not dictating to you. You have to do this or you have to do that. It's like, just do what you want to do, mm-hmm. right? And we'll be there to help you out with it. And by the way, we have some really cool features that you may or may not have considered. So feel free to Feel free to explore the space. Yep. And it's attached to a profile, correct? So if it's you and I, you're driving, you're in the driver's seat currently, Mm -hmm. you can pull up your profile and it, and fact check me on this, it will load your like seat position and Mm -hmm. things like that too when you go into your profile. Based on capability of the vehicle. But yeah, it's customizable settings. Yeah. So there is a, there's a primary profile. So Mm -hmm. it's usually the driver of the vehicle has a user profile. And when they get in the car, the music will be set where they want it to do. All the presets are where they want it to be. They understand where the seat settings are and some mm-hmm. of these other things. And so that's the primary user profile. But we all know that we travel with either our significant others or children or others, then everybody's got a phone. And so what we want to try to do is 
do exactly what I said earlier, right? Which is meet them in there and try to figure out a way that they can all be happy. Yep. That's almost impossible, but we <laughs> certainly try. So you can actually Bluetooth pair two phones at any given time to it. And so you can you can load a user prof- one user profile at a time, but you can store three. And then you have two phones and it'll also keep five total phones in the background. So you can run two phones at one time, but you can also switch to other phones. Perfect. So my husband, if he's driving, can have his thing going on. But if I have a work call, you know, that I need to take. Absolutely. You just switch over. And so <laughs> I actually have two phones loaded in here. You guys can't see this, but we have two phones and it's really as simple as clicking on the phone and going in and setting it up or hitting Use the button phone. and then it pops right up and, and, and now you're, you're primary. So if you want to use your contacts or otherwise, if there's just two phones, you don't have to have a secondary or a primary and a secondary for you to receive a call. So okay. if you've got a call and I didn't get a call and it, can, it would pop up and you could use it. So if you've got a personal phone and a work phone and you're the only one in the car, then you can, you can dual use those phones and no this longer have great. to repair and unpair and unpair <laughs> and repair while you're driving down the road, which is super dangerous. Don't do that. folks. Yes. So we've add that capability where we've um, you can load things up and and traverse the space without having to do a lot of connection and and disconnection. Mm -hmm. You can also as you're if you have a phone that you want to use CarPlay on or you want to use Android Auto on, but you want to run our navigation or you want to run the music through the Apple Music, you can you can use those at the same time, Mm -hmm. which is a great opportunity. All you have to do is click. Also in those toggles, when you go into the manage devices section and you can just stipulate, hey, I want to use this for CarPlay. And then a little CarPlay icon pops up at the top and you hit that CarPlay icon and now you're in CarPlay. And there it is. None of that, you know, getting stuck somewhere or not being able to traverse the space. You go into CarPlay, you can run. My you know, Toyota Untold podcast. You can run your Toyota <laughs> Untold podcast through your your provider of choice and then pop back over into the main section and and, and run your navigation that way. This is fantastic. What is your favorite feature? Oh, goodness. My favorite feature. I think it's the intelligent assistant. I think I am really excited about the opportunity for people to learn how to interact with with their vehicle and the multimedia system without having to touch. Yeah. And I think finding ways that they can get the most out of the system Mm -hmm. verbally because we haven't really had an option for that. You know, the the voice recognition before was really, really tough to use. And it was particularly bad with with non-male voices mm. and anybody with an accent, which is horrible. Yeah. And we want to make sure that that those people feel welcome in our vehicles mm-hmm. and and the system works for them just like it does for anybody else. And mm-hmm. so that's a really important perspective for me is that now it's not quite you don't have to be so particular about the way you use it. It just works. Love it. So I can just say, hey, Toyota, find a Chipotle. <gasps> oh, my goodness. I found 10 results. The first is Chipotle Mexican Grill at Center Point Road. Would you like to go to that one? It's just that simple. Absolutely. I do want to go. <laughs> that was so cool. How yeah, fun. It's really that simple. And and. You know, before when you used the voice recognition software, even when you're using some of the other more notable ones, you have to stop and pause for a tone and kind of you have to syntax it out. right? You have to kind of pace everything. Yeah. For this, just do what you want to do. Talk to it the way you want to talk to it. And it works. You just did not pause. You just said the word. I just kept going. I was like, please work. And (laughs) And it did. And that works. Right. (laughs) Amazing. And that's your experience and what you're finding right now and the response that you just had. Yeah. 
is what I want everyone to feel when they get into these vehicles. It yeah. is it is really cool and it really does work. And I'm excited for everyone to get an opportunity to see it. Also, nine times out of ten, I'm asking it where Chipotle is. It's a great it's a great place to eat. <laughs> oh man, that's great. I also really liked when I saw in the demo earlier was that it separates out your music for Sirius XM. So if we want to find sports, you say, you know, you're looking for an NCAA game, it's probably my husband looking for Ohio State. And it's so easy. It separates out music, sports, news, talk. Love it. Yeah. And so so really, we're leveraging a lot of the capability built into to a lot of the systems, mm-hmm. and not the least of which is SiriusXM, which has a lot of really good sports content. Mm-hmm. And so by having the cloud capability, we can go in there and, and set pr- favorites, mm-hmm. right? And so it will notify you if you have, so if you want to go NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, college, others, right? College, yeah. So, so if you go into college and you go to play-by-play or you go mm-hmm. into Big Ten or, you know, Big however ten, you want to yeah. do it. Uh, Big Ten if you're going to go Ohio State. Really? So you can go in there awesome. and take a look at the play-by-play. And and if the team that you want to pay attention to is on there, you just simply heart it, touch the heart, and it is a favorite. And then you can you can go in and set those those favorites however you want to in, in order of importance, right? And so especially in the SiriusXM space, you can go in and set your top three, top four, whatever the case may be, and you don't have to worry about touching in channels. Or you can simply ask that that the intelligent assistant go out and get your channel whenever you want. Amazing. Greg, thank you for being on the Toyota Untold podcast. That was the amazing Greg Blaylock. Just a quick note, the 14-inch screen mentioned in our conversation is optional, and some of the technologies described require subscription after their trial period. Intelligent Assistant is part of the Drive Connect bundle, and integrated streaming is part of the Wi-Fi package. For more information, go to toyota.com slash tundra. Next up is Mike Spears, who is heavily involved in engineering the new Tundra from the ground up. We finish up on the entertainment system near the end of our chat, but this conversation covers everything from how long the 2022 Tundra has been in the works to how hard it's been to keep it all a secret. How are you, Mike? I am doing great. Fantastic. (laughs) Last time I saw you, we were at the Chicago Auto Show where I was interv- interviewing you and Kevin Vocal about just trucks in general. And I had kind of hinted at, because we knew it was coming, but we cannot talk about it, or we couldn't talk about it at the time, about a new Tundra. And it's finally here. Now we can say all of the things about the new Tundra. And so being the chief engineer for it, what does that feel like to finally get to this point? I feel like I've had my first uh, baby. It's- <laughs> It never gets old. You know, it's it's interesting because and I, I think everybody in the team would say this as you work on a vehicle and you you see it from concept uh, to that first truck rolling off the line. It's it's never gets old. It's always exciting. Especially because this one has been so anticipated. You know, we, we, we like to say we update them every 15 years, whether they need it or not. But yeah, it has been anticipated, not just, you know, from our, our wonderful customers, but even from the, the Toyota staff, you know, ourselves, we, we've been putting a lot of blood, sweat and tears in the truck. And it's truly, I can say, a truck that's been designed by truck people, you know, guys who who that's the the product they park in the driveway and they all had 
a voice and and uh, a real, uh, for lack of better terms, put their own flavor into their area to make sure it's a truck they want to park in their driveway. Yeah. I think a lot of people, they don't understand what it takes and how long you guys have been thinking about this. How long end to end does it take for you guys to reimagine, recreate, redesign, start from the ground up a, a vehicle like this? So it, it revealed in September, 2021. So when was the first like napkin drawing or however it starts? <laughs> well, we, we updated the Tundra in 14 and Kelty did a wonderful job of making a beautiful truck. The update was mainly electrical and exterior sheet metal and, and interior parts on that. For this truck, once we we launched that that truck, we started planning for this next truck. And that's getting agreements from from the board of directors to actually start working on the truck, but we had to put a concept together. What would this next next truck be? And the concept kind of evolved from let's make a major change to the Tundra to how do we, you know, change our complete truck lineup. So this isn't just about Tundra. It started with our platforms. We currently have three platforms, but we combined it into one platform. And and that sounded like a great thing. 42 of us went over, including myself, to Japan for two years to work with a global team. So uh, team from Japan, teams from Europe, team from Australia, and, and to talk about how to make this one platform a global truck platform. So I'm going kind of going into a lot of details, but from the, the concept to the platform to producing new powertrains, we have over a million man hours in this this vehicle to to develop it from concept to getting that first vehicle off the line. How do you decide what to change? Do you take customers' feedback into consideration? And we know that you are a truck guy. You have I've seen the picture of all of your vehicles on your farm. Is there stuff that you personally were like, we have to have that. This is a change we need to make. How do you decide what to change and why? Yes, we do talk to customers. We go to truck jamborees. We we hang out at boat launches. And what I told everybody at the start of this is not only do you need to have that voice of the customer, but as we're designing it, be the customer. And what are the things in the product that you have in your driveway that you would really like to modify? And, you know, as we looked at the platform, getting into the platform itself, when we went over there, I was super excited about, oh, you know, now we're we're, we're really going to show the world what a, a great platform's going to look like. And then the reality of hit that I've got to take a Land Cruiser and I got to combine it with a pickup truck and and the, the difficulties that come with it. So we've always, or I've always prided ourselves on our triple tech frame, and that's an open C channel frame. And why that's been important for us is we also pride ourselves in our off-road capability in, in what we call our four brothers. So that's Tundra and Sequoia and, and uh, Tacoma and Forerunner. SUVs like Forerunner or Sequoia have to have a box frame. But a pickup trucks, there's two modes in the pickup truck. There's a bending mode and there's a torsional mode. And that's why the box is separated from the cab. And that gives us ride quality on road, but also gives us that off-road capability. And what I mean by that is if you're you're going through a mogul situation 
and you start having those wheels drop in the holes and the wheels going up on on ridges that frame needs to bend and having that compliancy in that frame is is really important otherwise you get a lot of wheel lift and it ends up if you have a traditional four-wheel drive system without our, our lsd system in it you only have two drive wheels and you have to do what we call bubba jump you know somebody's got to get on the back bumper because your drive wheels are up in the air and you're just sitting on <laughs> with wheels in the air. So that compliancy keeps all four wheels down. When we went to develop this platform, keeping in mind that a SUV has to have a box frame, we had to change the pickup trucks to a box frame. And uh, the first thing that came to mind is, well, what do we do about this compliancy issue? How do, how do we get this flexibility back out of the frame that's necessary to keep all four wheels on the ground or or how, what do we do for our ride quality and that's where our multi-link suspension came from so the challenge i gave to the team was i i never want to hear anybody tell me this drives like a truck you know this this should have a great ride quality to it and should have great handling so they came back with this multi-link suspension and some of our competition has uh, started going to coil springs. But what is unique about our suspension is we've gone to a dual rate spring in the back. We push the shock absorbers far out to help with, with ride comfort and stability. And then we put a pan hard bar in there. And that's a lateral support that helps with the body roll. Because once we got the ride quality back with the multi-link suspension, the next challenge is if you use a pickup as a pickup and you put something in the bed, then you've got a lot of body roll and how do you manage the body roll? So challenge by challenge, we went through and tried to address it so that again, we're improving upon what we already had, but we're not giving anything up on the new platform. So it's items like that. And I think, you know, one of my favorite stories is one of our engineers who's in charge of our locking systems in our truck. We've been having this heated debate about key fob tailgates. So we we introduced the first dampened tailgate in the industry. And what I have asked for for the last uh, several years is, you know, let's put a electric release on that lock and and open the, I load grain in the back when I back my truck up and I get out I want to hit the key fob and I want to start throwing grain sacks in the back of the truck and this engineer came to me one day where asked me to go to the white body room and we get in there and he he showed me he says I got a mock-up for you and I said to him you know it better be a key fob operated tailgate otherwise we're going to have a fight right here on the floor. <laughs> and he says, well, just, just hear me out. And, and he had his Yeti cooler and he picks his cooler up and he goes, okay, I've got my cooler. I'm walking to the back of my tailgate to the back of my truck. And he goes, I want to drop the tailgate. He goes, I have to set the cooler down. I have to pull the key fob out. I got to hit the button. The, the tailgate comes down and I got to pick the cooler back up. He goes, if I'm going to do that, I might as well just touch the, the release handle on the back of the tailgate. I'm like, fair enough. Fair enough but uh, I still want to release on there. He goes, well, hear me out. So he picks his cooler back up and he says, this is what I would recommend. And he comes walking to the side and he had a proximity sensor on the, on the rear combination lamp. And a proximity sensor is, is that sensor that we put underneath of SUVs. You know, you, it's a kick sensor. You kick your foot under it right. and the, the back end opens up. And right. he, he waves his elbow and the tailgate drops and he sets the cooler on it. He goes, isn't that a better idea? 
And of course I had to eat some curl and go, maybe, but I still want to keep up. <laughs> and so we, we have both in there and we changed from the proximity switch uh, to this, to a pressure switch because the proximity switches get dirty. This is a truck and you know, the pressure switch always works regardless if it's covered in mud or snow or ice or whatever. But yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of those type of developments in our, our new product that are really focused on our customers' requests, but also our engineers as customers and what they, they have wanted in their own vehicle. Yeah, we'll just dive right into the, the hard-hitting questions about customer feedback and, and everything. Why did you guys choose not to put a V8 in the truck if customers have said that they wanted a V8? It had to be asked. Had to be asked. The, the V8 question's going to come up. And, and quite honestly, it's a very legitimate question. We prided ourselves in our, our 3UR V8 engine. It's bulletproof. I've driven the engine since it came out. It has a lot of torque. It performs well in towing. But every one of our customers have stated that they want better fuel economy. And as we move towards the future, the V8 engine or V8 engines in the industry from an emission standpoint are becoming more and more difficult to, to pass the emissions. What I truly wanted when we launched this truck is to put a diesel engine in it. And we have a brand new 3.3 liter diesel engine that we're putting in Land Cruiser that's just phenomenal. But again, from an emission and an after treatment system cost, it's really difficult to get through certification. And then you have to charge a customer for this emission. And we pride ourselves in cost of ownership. So how do we keep that cost of ownership low? Well, diesel fuel compared to gasoline, and then you have to put DEF in there for emissions, and that's additional cost for the customer. So we considered all these type of things. And what I came back to the powertrain group is, is I really want this diesel engine. They said, well, you know, from the cost of ownership, it's difficult. What do you really want? And I said, what I really want is a diesel curve for torque. So torque is king in trucks. And if we look at our current 5.7 liter V8, the goal was how do we offer the customer more torque so that they can tow more, they can haul more, they have a more responsive truck. Mm -hmm. And we started working on this, this V6 turbo. And this is an all new engine family. It's a V35A engine family. And as they are working on it, the goal is to get a nice flat torque curve, just like a diesel engine at diesel engine RPM. So we've changed our torque curve from being our over 3000 on the on our 5.7 liter engine down to 2400 on the V35 engine. And that allows us to realize that that full torque to the customer at lower RPMs, more like you would have on a diesel. Plus the curve with the dual turbos is very flat, just like a diesel curve. And so the, the engine is more responsive. We've gone from uh, 401 pounds feet of torque to uh, 479 pounds feet of torque on, on the gas motor. Then we came back and said, well, that, that's nice. How do we make it better? And we started looking at the one motor hybrid system. And the, the system is completely different than the normal Toyota hybrid system, which is a two motor system. And it's a parallel, the, the old system is a parallel system. So you're running on electric or you're running on gas. We've gone to 
the series system, which is what we call a sandwich system. So we have the engine, we put our, our MG, our motor generator, and then we have our transmission. And what sets us apart from everybody else in our design is that the, the transmission, that 10 speed that we're using in our gas motor, we're also using the exact same transmission in, in our hybrid. What that allowed us to do is to keep a torque converter. So ride quality, performance, you, you can allow that transmission to slip when it's necessary to slip. So you don't have what we call jump in when the electric motor kicks in, you don't feel the surge. Or when you're driving down the road and you're combining the two together, you don't have the surge that some of our competitor systems have. But the real exciting thing is what that gave us is 583 pounds feet of torque. And that's more than we could get out of a diesel engine. You have the best of both worlds. We're using that motor generator to fill in the beginning of the torque curve until we build up to 2,400 RPMs because electric motor is for the most part, instantaneous torque. So we, we don't have to wait for those turbos to spool up. And then we have the advantage with the one motor system of putting that, that MG torque on top of the gas motor torque to get us at 583. And then we use the MGs to fill in when you reach peak torque and you start dropping off on that gas motor on the end. Long explanation, but super exciting powertrain that we have now. And the great thing is, is you get the torque and fuel economy, you get out of diesel engine without the delay of a diesel engine. We we have engine family that we can we can modify. And and we also have with the common flat platform these global engine families that we're not using here currently that you know, we, we could possibly put in in the future. So it's not just what we're launching today, but we're set up so we can offer many options in the future as well as yeah. customers demand. So you yeah. heard it here first. The chief engineer is a diesel guy and he was convinced. So you should be too. <laughs> it's uh, all, <laughs> all I can say right is, there. <laughs> yeah, all I can say is once you drive the new powertrain, whether it's a V6 well, we'll just take the V6 and you compare it to the 5.7. Um, it's it's amazing the difference. You know, basically there you could drop the mic and walk away. Mm -hmm. But then when you drive the hybrid, it's just mind blowing. It It's hard to keep your foot out of it. It's just fun. It's fun all day long. I, I don't think you can get bored with it. It's It's incredible. What did we have to do to help our manufacturing teams, facilities, et cetera, plan, start, producing the new Tundra? Well, with the new platform and with the new truck, we, we changed basically everything in our manufacturing process. And what I mean by that is if we just look at the truck production itself, we do what we currently call uh, cab complete construction. So we, we build the cab, everything is done in it, and then we drop it down on the frame. And that's not a normal Toyota manufacturing process. It's a modified process so that we could fit uh, Tundra and Tacoma on the same line. So one thing a lot of people don't understand is the Texas San Antonio plant's wonderful. And, and it, it's such a great group of people and operators down there that are willing to really do whatever it takes to build great trucks. And we asked them to, to do non-standard process so that we could get two different platforms on the same line. We, we don't do that anywhere in a Toyota plant except in San Antonio. And building not only building two different platforms, but two different 
completely individual vehicles on the same line at the same time. So space was always a challenge for us in that process. And you can imagine you have different parts that go on different ways and they, they have adapted to it. The promise to the plan is when we do the major change, we would fix that condition for them. And so we've changed from what we call the cab complete to a normal production process, the way we assemble all Toyota vehicles globally. And that required them to basically change the whole arrangement, the whole line set up in the plant. And not only are we building the biggest vehicles we build into in Toyota on this line, but we're also changing the line around and building them at one of the fastest rates we do in any of our plants. So making sure the ergonomics is correct, making sure the sequence is correct, making sure we have proper spacing for the operators to work in, all those type of things came into consideration. And we started changing the plant about a year on weekends when we weren't building vehicles or between breaks or whenever we could find a few spare minutes to start changing equipment while we were building production. So we changed as much on the fly as possible while we were building and selling every vehicle we, we could put out the door. The plant and, and our production engineering did an amazing job. But that required them to be in this process from the beginning. So right from the concept, from the initial styling sketches, we had our production engineering, we had our, our, our pilot guys working with us as what we call one team. And we started a truck council so that we could operate as one team cross-functionally in the company. And that, that also went over to as we were working on the platform and understanding what the platform and how to make a new frame for this new platform was going to take. We're actually building parts of that frame within our facility and then sending them out to a supplier to be completed and then we bring the frame back in. And the reason we did that is uh, to help reduce mass and improve our corrosion resistance, we, we developed a new welding process. So some of our competition or some of the industry uses what we call tailored rolled blanks or they use tailored welded blanks. And really what that means is you take a, a strip of steel and you weld a thicker piece of steel to it or in tailor rolled, you, you're, the rollers that actually are making the thickness of the steel, we vary the thickness. In, and so the, the coil still has different thicknesses of steel within the same coil. Not to get too technical on it, but what that does is it helps you put strength where you need strength without welding patches on a frame, which can promote corrosion. What it doesn't allow you to do is truly focus like you can with a patch where you need the strength in the in the 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 frame itself. So you basically you know, where you made it thicker, it's thicker all the way around the frame and you don't really need the strength all the way around the frame. You need it in a certain place. And that's that's why we put patches on it. We came up with what we call the Dejima welding process and Dejima really roof rough translation means island welding so we we you can imagine your iphone uh, a patch the size of your iphone we stamp out of the the general thickness steel and then we put a, a heavy piece of steel in there to get the strength in that area where we need it without adding mass to the rest of the frame where it's not necessary the other thing we wanted to address is our welding process itself so we've changed from using 
typical MIG welding, wire welding, to laser welding. And again, what that is to do is to help cut down on weld splatter because weld splatter doesn't e-coat well. And then it, again, promotes corrosion, starting points for corrosion in a frame. So we not only changed to laser welding process, but we also developed, I, I say we, but it was really our production engineering guys, developed a new welding wire that doesn't splatter. So it, it, it's awesome to see. I started my career out in weld fabrication, and we violate every standard welding rule in, in the world that was ever established with this new process. But it's amazing to watch. And when you're done, it's really hard to see even where the joint was. So first, we're welding you know, thicker metals than that you normally can do. And we have this dual-headed laser, and we've got this special wire, and it, it it's a haul operated by optics so we're monitoring the welding process real time it's a crazy process it's it's truly sci-fi coming to life and that helps us develop this this frame that we can be best in class from a, a mass standpoint uh, in the areas we need to be and from corrosion and these type of things. And also gives us the, the rigidity that's necessary to meet this global frame requirement that we have for, for strength and rigidity to meet the Land Cruiser's needs or, or Tundra's needs from towing and all the vehicles that we'll put on it. It's, it's amazing. So really to sum it up, it was a team effort yeah. to, to do this development. And because this, yeah, and I mean, like because there's so much detail and it has to happen in advance, that also means that a good chunk of these people know that this truck is happening before the public, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the fascinating part to me that there's so many people that that know and they're like sworn to secrecy. <laughs> so that's a great question, Kelsey. How many people are involved in the process? Departments, are other countries involved? Obviously, you went to Japan. Tundra is mostly an American vehicle, I would say, right? It's truly a North American vehicle. And yeah. it's a vehicle, full-size trucks are are unique to North America. And it's a you know funny story. It's, it's hard for TMC to understand the full-size truck. I can remember when we came out with 1794 and we, we proposed to put Lexus leather in, into a Tundra and, and Akio Toyota, Toyota Sunset looks at me and goes, who would ever want Lexus leather in a commercial vehicle? It's like, you, you don't understand. It's not a commercial vehicle. <laughs> yeah. you know? These are, are people's primary vehicles. But to, to get back to the question about how many people are working on our divisions globally, I, I don't know if I can really say that. And you know, we're, we're probably looking at 1,200, 1,500 people have worked on this wow. vehicle. And uh, it, it's not just the typical what you think, you know, we have our R&D staff designing and, and doing the evaluation and setting the, the criteria for the vehicle. But we had sales and marketing from the beginning and we have styling that's involved in there. We had our production engineering, many disciplines of our production engineering work on, you know, how do we change the plan around? We rate down to accounting and finance. And that's something we've never done before. And our, our truck council allowed us to do that as we, we start bringing in accounting and finance. So let's talk about what makes a Toyota truck a Toyota truck. Mm -hmm. And it's our QDR. And everything we do is more expensive than our competition. I, I showed, I think, at the media event, our 
our transfer case. We use a Borg Warner, so does one of our competition. Their drive chain is uh, 1.25 inches, and our drive chain for the new truck is 1.75 inches. Why do we do it? Because that, that meets our global truck requirement for, for durability. You know, Toyota customers in, in our trucks pride themselves in getting 500, 600, a million miles. We've had a couple of trucks go a million miles mm-hmm. and we need to protect that reputation, but all that costs more. So having counting and finance in, in the process from the beginning is how do we pay for these things? How do we still make a truck that everybody can afford, but give them yeah. the quality that they're expecting with the features that they're expecting? So it was truly a one team development with with all of our divisions involved to make sure that every piece of the puzzle will fit together. It's incredible. And that's a lot of people sworn to secrecy for a long time. <laughs> for a long time. We've had a few leaks. We've had a few leaks. No, no yeah, doubt about it. Now but that it, I know about when the leaks are, like it was so much closer to the reveal than than I understood how long, like people knew for a lot longer than when the leak came out. Mm-hmm. So like, and for that many people to know kudos, yeah. as well. Yeah. It, the, the amazing thing is, is when some of those leaks came out, I was getting phone calls from people in accounting and finance and they're angry. They're just beyond yeah. livid about this situation because part of the fun of the development was a secrecy, right? Mm-hmm. No one really knew what we were working on. And it, it, it's fun having mass vehicles run around and, and everybody trying to get pictures of them and guess what this thing is going to look like mm-hmm. or what's going to be in it. It just adds to the excitement of the development. Yeah. And, you know, for for the bigger leak that we had, Kelsey and I were the ones who went to marketing and said, hey, you know, the picture is a distorted angle. It doesn't look good. You know, we think we should send out a full picture of the Tundra at this point because one, you can see it. Two, it's a bad picture. We need a better picture to really represent the hard work that has gone into it. And everybody I think we talked to said, we got, we got to talk to Mike. We got to talk to Mike, Mike about this <laughs> and make sure that he's okay with it. And I think at the end, it really, you know, we got oh, the, the positive response that we were looking for. The response was genius. <clears throat> Even when the media says the response that Toyota had was genius, kudos to all of you. It was genius. And think, I, I don't think we could have responded in any better way, especially with those horrible pictures. I I don't think a, a worse p- picture of that new truck could have been taken. <laughs> really? <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah, I was like, did, was this a flip phone that someone was taking this picture on? I mean, the quality was just uh, so bad. But uh, I, I think a, can, a crayon drawing would have been better <laughs> than that picture. But <laughs> but now that we know like how long so many people knew before and it didn't get out and then, you know, it was really, truly only a couple months before the reveal. That's honestly, that's pretty impressive, especially when you have an entire enthusiast audience, what feels like millions of people Mm. putting the pressure on every single day. When is this coming? Where is it? I think I saw it. This is what I think it's going to look like. You know, the stuff that we dug through and trying to figure out who has actually seen it and who is just making it up. You know, some would call it fun. Some would call it something else, but you know, (laughs) it it was something. It was a lot of fun. What drives me crazy is some of the media who 
did some horrible renderings, yeah. Renderings of combining our truck with other people's truck and saying what they thought was going to look like. Yeah, I took personal joy in responding to the people who commented, it looks like this, it looks like, you know, insert any competitor. Did you guys make it here? And I would just respond, no, no, we no. didn't. <laughs> <laughs> nope. No, nope. people were really testing Kelsey. That day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But I know we also wanted to touch on the multimedia system because that was huge new addition to this vehicle. So, I mean, I think that the, the, everyone kind of understands the need for a new multimedia system. We live in, in a world that's constantly evolving. Our media is evolving quicker than anyone can say, but what is different about the new multimedia system from the previous or other automakers or what was the priority for this coming out in the new Tundra? Well, when we launched 14, we came out with the latest multimedia system and we had wonderful expectations for it and and learned a lot of lessons from that. We we had a lot of features and, and things that we heard from customers that they wanted. What we didn't realize is the amount of processing that's necessary and the speed of the processing of that data. We spent, I think the last four months, we put, I say we again, our electronics group put 38,000 miles testing, real world testing that system out. And we came out and we still had customer complaints. The speed wasn't what they expected. It just didn't perform to the level that they wanted. And we didn't have big enough processors to drive the amount of data that they they were expecting. Mm -hmm. And, And truly, the difficulty is you have a smartphone, everybody has a smartphone, and they want their vehicles multimedia to operate the same way. But there's a lot more going on than just what you do with your smartphone because the, the media has got to communicate with, with what we call the meter, your, your instrument cluster on your dash. It's got to communicate with, with the rest of the vehicle, the challenges that, that you have to deal with as you develop a new system. Sharon's group, our CT company, took over that development and and for this new system. And my fear was, do I really want to be the first ones to use our, our new system in the truck? But again, looking at what our customers were demanding and their expectations, we sat down and talked and said, you know, yeah, we've got all these things we want to do, but we definitely know we need to improve our processing speed. We need to improve the visual experience for the customer. But how do you, how do, you do that without making the customer go back to to college and get a degree in how to operate their multimedia system. And what I requested to Sharon and his team was, you know, why can't we make it operate like a smartphone where you don't have an owner's manual? It should just, that's what our customers are used to. That's what they're interacting with. How do we do that? And I can't even begin to explain that the technical challenges they had to do it. To me, it was just kind of magic and it happened. But they they spent uh, a long time working on, on making the system, but also working with what we like to call our, our partners out there, the Apples, the Googles, and all those uh, outside vendors to make sure that their, their content works on our new multimedia system. 
And to me, I, I think the success is being judged with what we're hearing in the media right now as from the response time and, and that you can you can pinch and grab the screen and you can change your map by pinching and grabbing the screen and it changes functions easily. Um, just going out in my own testing, I was nervous that we we got rid of the the tuning knob on there. I'm an old guy and I like to tune. I don't want to sit there and hit a button. But with the new system, when you pull up, whether it's XM radio, whether it's uh, AM, FM or AM bands or whatever you're loading, you pull that up and you don't have to you know, search for your station. It pulls all the stations up, asks you what, you know, what kind of music you want to listen to or what do you want to listen to? And here's the stations that are offering it. It's just so super easy to use. And yeah. uh, the performance is incredible. I mean, they, they truly knocked it out of the park. So I, I'm really excited for customers to get that and then see that performing on a 14-inch screen. I, I heard one of the social media channels the other day said, you know, I, I believe my first television set was smaller than this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it truly is a great experience. And it just adds to the overall um, customer experience for this vehicle. And, and as, you know, we talked about all the different groups and functions and teams that were in this, everything that we try to do for tried to do for this new truck was about enhancing the customer's experience, whether it's the towing features we put in, whether it's a new powertrain, whether it's a multimedia system, the seating system, the storage, how the, the doors and the locks and the lighting operates, everything was designed to enhance the customer's experience. Mm -hmm. So we may not have all the bells and whistles that some of our competition has, but every function in the vehicle, every nut bolt in this vehicle was designed with that customer in mind and how to truly give them what they want, what they expect, and how to do it in a way that exceeds their expectations. It's incredible. I, when I talked with Kevin Vocal, I asked him, and I will ask this to you later, but I asked him what his favorite part of the new Tundra was. And he, he said, well, let me ask you first, what is yours? And I said, the multimedia system. And because I expect that Toyota is going to make a great looking truck. I expect that it's going to be, you know, have QDR. And, but the multimedia system, I think was surprising to me. One, how it fits and integrates in with the entire truck. And then two, how some simple it is to use. I think it just elevates the rest of the truck too, especially coming from what people I think expected with Intune. Absolutely. So what is your favorite part of the new 2022 Tundra? You know, everybody keeps asking me what my favorite part is, and it's a really difficult question to answer. Yeah. And, and my answer may be different. You know, I, I think the expectation is, oh, the new powertrain is awesome, or the ride and handling is fantastic, the towing. All those are things that I expect to be put into the tr new truck, and mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're wonderful developments. But as I had to think about what truly is my my favorite thing, it, it's it's kind of silly, and I'm I'm torn between two items in it. But I'd have to between the two, I'd have to say the the rear seat storage is is my favorite in the truck. So we were lacking storage in the past, but the rear seat storage isn't the normal. Let's just we have a spot, so let's put a box there, and and we have no idea what the customer is going to use it for. The seating engineers who designed that really went through 
and looked at wh- how they use it. They looked at my truck and what I've done in my truck and how I use it. Um, it's kind of funny because I do a lot of off-roading. So I have recovery straps and I have an off-road jack back there and I have, you know, all, all sorts of clevises and, and different different things plus trailer hitches. And then they looked at what they wanted and they designed it to package what people are putting in the back, uh, depending on their lifestyle and, and why it makes it the favorite part of the truck for me is our customers are more active than our competitors' customers. And, and we have data to, to, to show that and what they do, but they hunt, they fish, they off-road, they dirt bike, they snowmobile, they do these type of things. And as the engineers were looking at that, talking to customers and what they would like to have stored in in those areas, in their own experience, they incorporated that in there. So it's a very purposeful storage that everything has a place and everything fits in its place. And to me, from a customer delight, enhancing the customer experience, that's wonderful. From an engineering standpoint, I love the fact that it was not just we made a box. It's a box that's designed for a purpose. Uh, and then I'd have to say, you know, like I said, I have two areas I'm, I'm struggling with. The other one is the composite deck. It's just, it's awesome. It's awesome in so many different ways. And uh, from a, a anti-corrosion standpoint, from a usage standpoint, from just an appearance standpoint, is so clean. One of our members came in today and he says, you know, I, I took one of the pilot vehicles home and he says, I got up this morning, I said, I jumped in the truck and he says, I walked past the deck and in my truck, it just, it always looks like it's a mess. And he says, this thing just looks like it was designed to be perfect. And it, it truly is an amazing thing. And then you get the strength with that on top of it. This is the engineering side of me coming out. We did the dealer meeting and, and I was talking to Bob Carter and he says, how do we demonstrate the deck? And my suggestion was to him was, you know, let's, Let's just recopy what's already been done. We had a couple of our competitors in the deck war, you know, drop bricks back there, drop the tool get toolbox. He goes, what happens if we do that? And I said, nothing. It, it, it's a great way to show it. And I get to the to the dealer meeting and they're dropping engines from 10 feet into the deck. And I'm like, Bob, whoa, whoa, whoa. We've never designed <laughs> for anything like this. He goes, what's going to happen? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> That's way, way over the top of, of what you can do. And they did it all day long and nothing. And what happened? happened? Nothing. 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 <laughs> so, you know, just going back to the QDR, but not only did nothing happen, but the deck looked, you know, you swept the dust out of it from, from the pallet exploding that the engine's sitting on, but the deck looked fine. And I think, again, how do we enhance that customer's experience? You know, the, the, the part that we found and the reason we changed that composite deck is what we found on the million mile truck that we tore down, we purchased and tore down and just the condition of the deck after a million miles for a person that uses their truck as a truck. That was an area that we, we knew we could improve upon. And yeah, there it is. It's, it's the perfect deck, in my opinion. So TRD Pro will only be offered in the hybrid powertrain. And when we drove it, because it's so quiet, is there sound that is piped in, like an engine sound? We, we do some sound enhancement on the engine. Okay. Um, the target was the TRD exhaust. I have a TRD exhaust on my truck. I love the exhaust. Mm-hmm. 
until I tow for about four hours. And then an, after about the third hour, you kind of get tired of that uh, drone at eight, 1850 RPMs. Mm. What the V6 allowed us to do is you've got wonderful power performance, but it doesn't have the sound of a V8. And one of the things that uh, we've learned from our customers is, is stimulating your senses as you're driving adds to the whole enjoyment of driving. Mm -hmm. So one is, is what you're seeing. You get to see the attack grow. You get to see the, the speedometer go up. But you also feel the G-force of, of the powertrain. You know, when you mm -hmm. launch the truck, you know, it's putting you back in the seat. You get to feel, feel that G-force. And the third is, is the sound. So you've got your sight, you got your feeling, you got your, your hearing. And all three of those need to be tied together to truly have that, that awesome experience and, and understand what's happening. One of the criticisms we had until we came out with the, the TRD exhaust is, you know, I really don't feel the G-force in our V8 engine. It's it's buttery smooth transmission. You feel it grow. You just look down and suddenly you're doing 90 miles an hour. And the TRD exhaust added that sound. So as we looked at the new powertrain, we want to make sure that we're appealing to all the senses. Mm -hmm. And it, it's dependent on, on what you get. So the V6 is awesome. The V6 doesn't have any sound enhancement. The high grades, we put a little bit of sound enhancement in there. But in the TRD Pro, we simulate the TRD exhaust. So you, you get to you get to hear the engine doing its thing and it's very linear as you tip into the throttle. Mm. The the G force, the sound, the sight, everything is matching and truly letting you know what that powertrain's doing and is capable of doing. So I know we only have a couple minutes left with you, Mike. So it wouldn't be a Toyota podcast if we didn't ask What's next? I know you just got done and it's not even over yet because, you know, it has to hit dealer lots. We've got to start selling this truck, but the people probably want to know what's, what's next? How, what, what's next in the, in the Tundra future or anything else? Yeah. We have, I can't speak about future products, but what there I can say is. That was a test. Yeah, yeah. you passed. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't talk about future products, but we have a lot of amazing, very exciting things coming. This isn't the end for Tundra. It's not, uh, we're done. We launch this and we're done. Uh, we got great things coming in the future. And then we've got brother vehicles coming in the future. And if you like Tundra, just sit down, get a good drink and hang on to your chair because uh, it's coming fast and furious. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure the Tundra enthusiasts are going to love hearing from you directly. Thank you, Mike. It's always awesome to have you on the podcast because you provide that super technical knowledge that our listeners love. Well, we love talking trucks. So thank you for having us. Thanks again to our guests today, Greg Blaylock and Mike Spears coming soon. We finally turn the key and get rolling with Austin Evans and Ken Bolito for a hands-on experience in the new vehicle before sitting down with a chat with Kevin Vocal, president of Toyota Motor Manufacturing Texas. Catch you next time. I'm Tyler. This podcast is brought to you by Toyota Motor Sales USA, Inc. and may not be reproduced or redistributed in whole or in part without prior permission of Toyota. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and our hosts and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Toyota. 
Please note that Toyota is not responsible for any errors or the accuracy or timeliness of the content provided. 